Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and joining me as ever is the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, buddy. Hello, mate. How you doing? I'm all right, actually. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm very excited about today. I'm very excited about today's guest because I get to bring in an old friend of mine from university. Mr. Diggy Critchley of Football Daily and Euro Football Daily. Me and Diggs went to uni together um, and spent some time chatting there. And we've both pursued paths into football. We get to, I went on his Continental Club uh, on Football Daily on YouTube a couple of weeks back. And now he's on rank. So it's nice to, it's nice to do things with your mates, isn't it? I mean, I get to do things with my mates every, every week with you and Dean. It's nice to get an, another friend in. It's very exciting for me. Very exciting. Yeah, I've actually, uh, over the years that I've known you, you must have talked about your time at university, probably to the point where I feel sick whenever you mentioned yet another story. But with Doogie in, you know what, why not mix it up? One more story from Jack's university days. I'll just, just brace myself for one more. Well, it's a good good time for the Northeast and in terms of obviously Newcastle have had a takeover and there's been lots to discuss and we, we discussed it all in our Monday Postbox episode on the Ultras section of this post, of this podcast. So if you want to hear our thoughts on the Newcastle takeover, it's all over on our Ultras thing on Patreon. Uh, we'd be appreciative if you'd have a listen. If you fancy some more Ranks FC content, we're over there on a Monday and a Friday every week, two extra episodes a week, plus a new newsletter so very much worth your time to go and have a look we have a lot of surprises though in today's main episode so before we get doogie in um we're going to quickly do things we love and sam it's just going to be you this week yeah well my thing i love is so wholesome we only really had room for this one thing and it is the hernandez brothers winning the nation's league together for france this was awesome you know this was just awesome and for teo hernandez it was amazing for him to finally take his place in the French national squad and join his brother, Lucas. I mean, he won his first cap back in September, I think it was, against Finland. But he got the call up again this time around for the actual big hitter, the Nations League semi-final. They both start together. They both play against Belgium and they win 3-2. Uh, Lucas plays left centre-back in a three. Some would argue his best position. Teo plays left wing back. Definitely his best position. And Teo goes ahead and scores a winner in the 90th minute. And you know what? The goal looks an awful lot like that goal he scores all the time for AC Milan. So well done to Teo for stepping up to another level and just being himself because that is harder than it appears. Now, Lucas did drop out of the 11 for the final, but Teo stayed in. He did assist a goal in a 2-1 win. It was a very controversial it was, goal. It was that goal from Mbappe, which just definitely shouldn't be allowed. But that's the law. That's the football law. The most important thing, though, is there is this wonderful photo of the two brothers holding the Nations League trophy together in their France kits. And Lucas said, it's a source of pride, a pleasure to be here with my brother. We could not dream of this as children. It is exceptional. It is incredible. A.K.A absolute brother goals and I love it I love that photo 
I love the fact that Teo's in the team. I love the fact that they managed to lift a trophy together and play together for their country. It's just wonderful. Well, you'd imagine, Sam, that Mama Hernandez is very, very proud of her boys. And you'd imagine that the two lads are taking her out for a nice slap-up meal on the town tonight to celebrate and say thank you for raising us to become unbelievable footballers, right? You, you love that. Absolutely. Very, very enjoyable. Very wholesome content for things we love on Ranks FC today. Um, it was a quick one because it's been the international break, but we've got a lot of surprises, as we said, and a lot to discuss in our next segment. Doogie is joining us after the break to talk about the most exciting teams to watch in Europe this season. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, ladies and gentlemen, where I am delighted to introduce our third special guest in three weeks. And this is one I've been looking forward to for a long, long time. An old friend of mine from university, Mr. Doogie Critchley of Football Daily, Euro Football Daily, host of Continental Club Dukes. It's so good to finally have you on Ranks. Well, thank you so much, guys. Yeah, as I was saying before we hit record, I've been an enormous fan of Ranks FC for years, um, even before at BR Football Ranks as well. I did a couple of uh, big runs in the last couple of years and you guys are always the soundtrack to my training. So it's a, a real privilege to be on the show today. I mean, mm, must to have, have been you. big runs because Jack does like to talk. So these are quite yeah, long. Those poems go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine they're not the uh, not the best running soundtrack. But once Sam gets going, it uh, probably livens up a little mm. bit. And Diggs, we got you on because we want to talk about, well, clubs across Europe, really. But basically, it's just some of the most exciting clubs to watch this season. We're coming off the back of an international break, looking forward to getting back into top tier club football. I know there's a lot of people that would kill me, including last week's guest Ali Maxwell for saying that club football had gone away, uh, given the <laughs> fact that there was plenty of lower league football still going. And um, But top tier club football returns this weekend. And there's been so much, so many brilliant teams uh, across the course of this season. And we thought we'd get you in to, to rank the top five, in your opinion, the most exciting teams to watch across Europe. Yeah, I think it's been a phenomenal start to the season across many leagues, to be honest. It looks like there's going to be fairly intense title battles in all of them, bar Liga, probably. PSG already six points clear, of course. They've probably got one of the most talented groups of players in any sport collected in one team. Whether it can work effectively is a different matter entirely. I think Serie A probably looks like the most competitive. The Premier League looks like it's got three sort of outstanding teams this year, all vying for top spot as well. But my fifth team... Uh, starting off the ranking is actually Ajax. Um, I think they've been really entertaining so far this year. And whilst they've sort of struggled to replicate their incredible 2018-19 Champions League run, getting knocked out in the group stage of the last two editions of the Champions League and barely making a dent in the Europa League as well. It was a bit disappointing last year, only making the quarterfinals. But their league form has been quietly excellent for a while. They've uh, gained 230 league points over the last three completed seasons. Obviously, 2019-20... The Eredivisie, along with Ligue 1, was curtailed. Uh, they were level on points with RZ at the time. And I think many neutrals were sort of rooting for RZ. That team of Calvin Stengs, Coop Miners, Owen Vindal at the back as well. I think many neutrals were sort of hoping that they'd do it. But across the last three years, Ajax, 230 league points, as I said. PSV, 204. So despite the fact that PSV have employed probably their best coach in years in Roger Schmidt, obviously had such a good reputation, gained at RB Salzburg and then Bar Leverkusen, it looks like Ajax is going to be able to pull away, um, particularly after this summer in which PSV lost Daniel Marlen, Denzel Dumfries, Hatterin obviously went to Juve and then got loaned to Sampdoria as well. But obviously the, the most impressive thing about Ajax is continuing to be able to perform not just in the Eredivisie, but in, in, the, in the Champions League as well with that enormous squad turnover and just continue on that upward 
trajectory. Of the 22 players um, that they used in 2018-19 when they reached the semi-finals, only six remain at the club, which I thought was quite staggering. That's Daly Blind, Tadic, Tagliafico, David Neres, Masrawi and Onana, who looks like he's going to join Inter Milan in January. So it's the final few months of him at Ajax. Obviously can't play at the moment for, for you know, those dietary sort of drug ban, etc. reasons. Uh, they've made a net profit of 198 million euros in that time, but they've signed really effectively. And I think their, their transfer policy seems to have slightly changed in the last few years as well. Sandro Martinez signed from Defensa, Edson Alvarez from America, Anthony from Sao Paulo. It feels like they're maybe sort of branching out from the best talents in the Eredivisie and, you know, other emerging talents in Europe to, to really taking a look at South America, which is probably quite a smart move for them. But back to this season. So they played eight Eredivisie games. They draw one. Unfortunately, they lost one just uh, before the international break to FC Utrecht. Uh, but they've scored 30 goals in eight games. It's just absolutely ridiculous. 3.8 goals per game. They've conceded just two. And no one in Europe's top five leagues, which unfortunately doesn't include the Eredivisie, has conceded fewer than three. And they've played a game more than most sides. So this is a this is a team really at the top of their game right now. And they're matching it in the Champions League as well. I thought Sporting CP would put up a much better fight in their opening game. Lost 5-1, then 2-0 at home to Besiktas. Obviously, that's going to be a tougher away game than it probably would be in Amsterdam, but still really impressive. And their underlying numbers from the Champions League suggest that for the first time since 2018-19, they could maybe make a dent on the competition as well. Maybe a quarterfinal. I don't think anyone's expecting a, another run to the semis, but 17.5 shots per game. That's fourth best in the competition. Obviously, it's early days. Only two games gone so far, but only Liverpool, Real Madrid and Barn are taking more. Just 6.5 against. And the star of their Champions League campaign, who's probably getting the most credit, is Sebastian Haller as well. But Tadic is, I think, the key to this side. Four goals and six assists in 10 league and Champions League games so far. I'm really surprised that he ended up at Ajax. I felt like at the end of his time at Southampton, I felt like a a top club or a bigger club than Ajax, maybe, no disrespect to Ajax, could have taken a chance on him. Like Technically brilliant. That left foot is absolutely wonderful. And with Hakim Ziyech having left, uh, well, a little while ago now, he's really taken on a lot of the creative burden as well. And then I love so many of their young players as well. Graven Birch, Urien Timbers come through as well. Lissandro Martinez, who I think has got a massive potential in the game. It's a little bit, maybe going to be slightly challenging for him to play for an elite club, given he's slightly sort of challenged height-wise. Uh, but Pear Scherz as well coming through. All 23 are under. Uh, and it feels like when you watch Ajax, you basically watch the future of football in two to three years' time. And I think they're managed by one of the best up-and-coming coaches in Europe. I don't even know whether we can call him up-and-coming now. I think he's just arrived in Eric Ten Hag. I feel like Bayern, Barcelona in the next few years, a top Premier League club, like he's ready now. I don't think there can be any question marks alongside his, his sort of pedigree and that sort of, oh, he's only done an Ajax argument. I think Ten Hag's going right to the top. And this Ajax team, I advise everyone to watch. They're just an absolute pleasure to watch with so much young talent coming through. Yeah, I completely agree. Sam? Yeah, I think like one of the keys I'm sure will emerge throughout the list as you go through the, the teams and Ajax in fifth means we're in for a hell of a top four. Um, <laughs> the key the key is that you need to be able to watch players that are they're entertaining. Obviously, the football team-wide is going to be good and, and you could say that for a lot of teams, like even still Man City. I mean, if you're not bored of the fact that they demolish teams, very entertaining. But with Ajax, they've got a little cluster of players. It feels like there's something for everyone because if you like a big target man, then Seb Allaire is having a bit of a renaissance. If you like a, a more old school playmaker, then Dusan Tadic is the one for you. He's not 
the most mobile player in the world, but his vision and his creativity is is reminiscent of a kind of older school number 10. Then you've kind of got their, their dip into Scandinavia where they've gone and taken like Mohamed Kudus and, and Durami as well, who's starting to filter into the team and they're much more mobile, dribbling capability players. And yeah, Timber is just a player who <laughs> just at centre-back just goes, yeah, I'm going to run 50 yards now. Um, a bit like when Frankie de Jong used to play centre-back for Ajax, he just used to go on these ridiculous runs forward and, and Timber's doing the same and he's actually ended up playing one-twos and scoring goals off the back of it. So very impressive. On the Tadic point in Southampton, what I would say is that he was maddeningly inconsistent at Southampton. Mm. And it was, once Pella had gone, it was just like, well, not specifically that, but I think as the team, the, the team, the, the level of quality in the team dipped year after year on Southampton as they started to fade off. I think Tadic was like visibly pretty pissed off with the teammates that he was now playing with. And his level did suffer. To be honest, as someone who works for Southampton and covers them, I, I was a tiny bit relieved to see the back of that inconsistency. Um, and I never saw that performance at the Bernabeu coming, not in a million billion years. So, uh, well, so well done to him. But yeah, when he's actually in full flight and he's feeling it, he is, he's a wonderful player. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some like kind of interesting bits and bobs going on with us. And, and and look, I think the fact that they've scored, they've played ten games, they've scored five or more goals five times, like in itself is is a ridiculous statistic, right? You, you're looking at that and going, what's going on? And that includes a nine nil win in the Eredivisie in the middle of it. Now we know they hit ten last year, so they've still got some work to do. Yeah, to underperforming. Beat that one. Yeah, absolutely. But on the whole, you know, the look at this kind of attacking creative core and, you know, the aforementioned Tadic, but also Anthony, who I think has been absolutely phenomenal, especially in the Champions League, both games has been remarkably good. And then Bergheis, whose transfer was a little bit controversial, wasn't sure if the Ajax fans were going to take to him. They started taking to him now and you give him <laughs> that for free. And then Mohamed Darami, who we spoke about on the show a couple of weeks back about being a real, real talent. You put into that the fact that, you know, <laughs> Ahead of them, you're looking at uh, players like David Neres, Ale, Danilo, who we haven't seen that much of. Yeah, obviously came into that number nine shirt and ha- we haven't seen too much of. But you'd imagine is if, if he's been brought from South America, like the rest of this crop, the Ajax have seen something that they, they very much like. David Klaassen, Mohamed Kadus, Gravenbeck behind them. And then the kind of flying fullbacks of Masraoui and Tagliafico. It's as set up a side to attack as, as you can imagine in, in so many ways. And look, it's not always going to work. And and I think we'll see that when, when Ajax face harder opposition. And look, they face Borussia Dortmund twice now in, in quick succession in the Champions League. And I guess that's going to be a very good barometer of just how good this Ajax side are at this point. But I think there can be no question that they are an enjoyable watch at this point. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure how anyone could disagree with this one too. How can they only be fifth? I know, I know. <laughs> there's on. some big, there's some big, very entertaining sides ahead. Yeah, I okay. think Tagliafico is worth mentioning him as well. I mean, it doesn't feel like a summer transfer window kicks off unless he's linked with one or Spurs or Arsenal. I don't know how he's still at Ajax, but yeah, Ajax in fifth. There's, I'm quite, uh, I'm a little bit annoyed with myself for my fourth suggestion coming up. It's a little bit dull, but I just do think they are the best team in Europe right now, and it's Bayern Munich. I, I'm kind of disappointed I've even included them. Everyone knows about them, obviously, so well. But their, their stats, their performance levels, the eye test, like everything just clicks with this Bayern side at the moment. They've scored 24 goals in seven games. It's the most in Europe. They've got the best attack according to expected goals in the top five leagues. Five teams have a better defence than them, but it doesn't really matter when you've got so much control of the ball. You've got so much pace, power, technical ability. Everyone's just ready to receive the ball in tight areas. And they can just dominate teams physically. Like when we watch them against Barcelona... 
not only did they look so much better on the ball, but they just looked like they were about 10 years above them in terms of their age and development. And it was just so, so dominant. Um, and in terms of what really makes them stand out, it's it's their sort of their, it's their clinical ability in front of goal. So only Liverpool take more shots in Europe's top five leagues, but they are by far the most clinical. They get 7.8 on target per game. Liverpool and Stuttgart, interestingly, are next on 6.3, and they get just under 43% of their shots on target. And, you know, if you consistently take loads of shots in good areas, it's no surprise that they completely walk over most sides. Only two two teams in Europe top their 43% shots on target. That's Lazio and, interestingly, Barcelona, which I think must have down to the fact that their attack has fallen off, their numbers uh, going forward have fallen off, but they are taking headers from a few yards out with uh, (laughs) Luke de Jong and and Ronald Araujo. Lots of them in plentiful supply, exactly. Uh, But in terms of Bayern, I think it's worth noting as well that they had a terrible pre-season. They didn't win any of their four games. They got beaten quite easily by Gladbach. They also lost to Napoli 3-0. They then drew against Gladbach on the opening day. And I remember when that happened, most people were like, you know, not is Nagelsmann obviously the wrong appointment. He's the most exciting manager probably in Europe right now. But just, you know, maybe this evolution from Hansi Flick is going to take a little bit longer than expected. But no... They then won their next five games. They scored 22 goals in the process. They did lose to Frankfurt just before the international break, but Mm. that was a a very strange result. Kevin Trapp was playing like prime Manuel Neuer and Neuer turned into sort of prime Massimo TB. Yeah, exactly. Uh, He made a horrible, horrible error for Kostic's winning goal, but Trapp was absolutely insane in that game. So I wouldn't take too much from that, even though they are level on points with Bayer Leverkusen. uh, I think they will still be strong, strong favourites to win this league. Champions League form, as I mentioned, demolished Barcelona, demolished Dinamo Kiev. And interestingly, they've only lost two of their last 31 Champions League games, stretching back to the start of 2018-19. That's seven fewer than PSG in the same period, who many people, for some reason, think are going to win the Champions League this year. For me, I think they are not even in the top three, potentially. Uh, I'd go Bayern, then I'd probably go Man City, then probably Chelsea or Liverpool before PSG. I just don't think they've got the you know attacking cohesion yet even let alone the defensive sort of coordination yet going whereas Bayern very settled side Upen Meccano came in during the summer he's only their new signing that's consistently starting Sabitz has added a lot of depth Jamal Musiala is getting so much better as well he had some you know depth with with Thomas Muller potentially needing to be rested for certain games they look really well set to uh, to to challenge in the Champions League, and since 2018-19, they've averaged 2.8 goals per game and just 0.9 goals against in the Champions League. And I think if you look at their starting eleven, there's sort of five or six players that would be in the convers- in the conversation. Sorry for the world eleven, like Lewandowski, clearly Kimmich, probably the outstanding central midfielder, unless you count De Bruyne as a you know an out and out central midfielder, which I think is a little bit generous. Then Alfonso Davies is in the discussion for best left back. Thomas Muller as well, fair enough. Goretzka as well. Serge Gnabry maybe as a shout as the right winger. And when you've got so much attacking quality, they're, they're just going to be you know, right in the mix again for both competitions. A lot is expected of Tangi Nianzu as well when he finally gets fit as well. He can be that next generation. It's been nice seeing Nicolas Sula get back to his best this season under his former coach Nagelsmann who looked after him at Hoffenheim as well. So they've just got the perfect mix of everything and they are a phenomenal attacking unit to watch and, and one that I really enjoy. And it's great seeing Leroy Sane pick mm. up some form in the last six weeks or so after a, a really difficult first year in Bavaria as well. Strangely enough, Leroy Sane, the, one of the best left wingers in the world, is best playing on the left. Um, but yeah, Bayern, <laughs> great side to watch and uh, one that I can't wait to see how they continue on this season. 
Yeah, I'm enjoying the Bayern. Um, not, I don't, you can't call it a renaissance because they were never really sunk that low. But definitely after the pre-season and just the finish to last season and the exit of Hansi Flick and a dip in some of the players' forms as well, like Sané is one of those. But I feel like we're seeing Alfonso Davies back to his absolute best this season. And I don't think you could really say that about him towards the end of last season. And then there are a couple of others in that conversation as well. I think it took literally one week for Nagelsmann to sort them out. So that, that first yeah. performance against Gladbach, it was bad. Like, it, it was. The first and 45 minutes were terrible. It got better yeah. in the second half. And it took about a week to just beat it out of them. And ever since, they've basically been fired. And look, there are some young young players in this team that will be a little bit inconsistent. And I think Upper Meccano is, is going to be one of those players. He can be brilliant. He can also be a little bit suspect at points. But he's like 21. It's fine. Like, it's what it is. He's a centre-back at age 21. And I'm enjoying this like rejuvenation. I'm enjoying Sané. I'm enjoying Musiala. I'm enjoying Alfonso Davies back to his best. I'm not necessarily enjoying Nicolas Sula because if you ask me to name a player that I, I like watching the least, it, it might be him. Um, particularly Crazy, when, he plays, when he plays at right back. I'm not interested at all. Get me I'm out not too it. impressed by Pavard though. I think he's like he's very off. He's quite an uninspiring player, myself, like in my opinion as well. I want to see him at centre back. I, I just don't think either of their right back options are particularly good. And they got Bunasar, who rubbish. You know, I don't. What, what was he even doing there? To be honest, yeah, I quite no. like Stanisic. He's, he's shown a yes. little bit there. I know he can play in the middle as well, but I, I'm not completely, uh, completely gone on Stanisic yet. I'm not. Yeah, you know, I think they were, we're there, and he's going to be the starting right back for Bayern. And to be perfectly honest with you, I would be surprised if they don't bring someone in relatively soon as a very attacking option down that right-hand side. But I suppose if you have Josio Kimmich, you can basically do what you want. And, and if it all goes you know, into the, into the hills, you just bring Kimmich in and he can play right back and probably service as one of the best right backs in the world. And that's what you have when you have a player of Kimmich quality in there. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. But this, this rejuvenation is good fun. And do, the fact that you, you've basically just called them your Champions League favourites as of right now anyway. I mean, that, 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 says it, that says it all. That, says, that speaks to the progress that they've made over the last six or seven or eight weeks because... Um, surely they were not in that situation in your in your heads, you know, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. Definitely not ending last season, heading into preseason. That Gladbach game, they have surprised me, like they really have. And having mm. Nagelsmann there as one of the most flexible managers in world football and able to do so many different things with the same crop, it's very exciting to to see how they pan out. It's quite interesting, I thought, that, you know, we talk about Barcelona and Sam, something that you and I have discussed in, in great depth is the fact that there's this big hole in the middle of the squad. That there's the players who are on the peak of being past it, a lot of young players breaking through who perhaps aren't quite ready for the deep end yet, and a big hole in the middle. We discussed it as well in terms of Stephen Kenny's Ireland side. But what Bayern have is a lot of players in the prime years, the golden years of their career. And, you know, you look at, obviously Neuer is, is 35, but he's a goalkeeper and therefore can go for longer. And Lewandowski and Müller are probably the, the top end of this, 33 and 32. You'd imagine that they are starting to see out the kind of, well, we call it the evening, golden evening period of, of their careers. But you go down there and you go Sabitzer, 27, Tolisso, 27, Goretzka, 26, Kimmich, 26, Nabry, 26, Sula, 26, Sane, 25, Lucas Hernandez, 25, Pavar 25, Komen, 25. And that kind of crop of 9, 10 players who are around this first team and, and right in the heart of it allows you to bring through a 22-year-old Diop Meccano. It allows you to bring in a 21-year-old Josip Stanisic, a 20-year-old Alfonso Davis, and to see 
an 18 year old Jamal Musiala slot into this side and be comfortable in it. And because there's so much depth, experience and players in their prime, you get much more from this young crop because they're allowed to basically be within themselves, to to have the odd off game and not have this pressure piled upon them because their compatriots are in the right area of their career. And it's just nice to see a side running things well. When you compare them to the likes of Barcelona, you're going, right, all the 18-year-olds, yes, sure, it's fun. Sure, we're having a great time seeing Gavi break through and we want to see more of Ricky Pooch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you're throwing them in at the deep end. As Barcelona, they'll probably be right. But on the whole, putting the players through in this regard is a much more you know, safe and secure strategy to bring a young player like Jamal Musiala come, coming through. And you're seeing him thrive because of it. Yeah, Bayern do their squad building, I swear, without anyone really ever noticing. Like They, they <laughs> rarely spend enormous fees. I mean, Luca Hernandez is the only one I can really think of. Leroy Sane went for a fair amount. But it's just one or two players every year. And as you say, before you realise it, They've completely rejuvenated their squad. They've got their new leader, probably, who's going to step into you know, the, the shoes when the leadership group leaves and Yossi Kimmich. Goretzka, as well, has just become one of the outstanding central midfielders in the world after you know, completely changing his physique and, and his, seemingly his mentality as well. And they're just ready to carry on dominating in, in the Bundesliga, whereas Dortmund, one or two star players leave. And, you know, it seems like it's slightly, you know, starting again with the younger generation, whereas Bayern, I just think, are, are one of the best well-run clubs in Europe. A juggernaut. A Who's juggernaut. in at three then, Dukes? Number three is more of a shout out of respect than in terms of pure entertainment. But I have been really impressed with Inter Milan this season, mainly because I thought, and many people did think, that it was going to be a really difficult year. Obviously, they handled the summer, I think, particularly well, considering how badly it could have gone. And it was pretty gutting, obviously, to win your first title in 11 years, lose your sort of, uh, you know, your your difference maker in Antonio Conte and your two best players for reasons completely outside of your control. Their ownership in Suning lost all their money through the Chinese uh, drop in, in coronavirus and the struggles of Chinese uh, football clubs as well. And it's completely out of their control. And, and they've done pretty well to to stem the flow. I think it's not going to be the end of it, obviously, because they still owe an enormous amount of money to Oak Tree Capital. But, I mean, it was a good start this summer. They made a net profit of £145 million. And performances have been pretty good considering, um, considering, you know, they're betting in a number of new players in, in pretty crucial positions as well. They've played seven, they've won five, they've drawn two. They're one of three unbeaten sides in Syria, uh, along with Milan and Napoli. And they've scored 22 goals to date, on top of 41 in seven preseason games. So Simone Inzaghi has brought some of that sort of know-how of how to get the best out of attacking players that he sort of got, you know, gained over years at Lazio and just Im- instantly implemented that at Inter. And I think it really helped. It was a really smart appointment given that he played a similar formation to Antonio Conte as well. And it's just really started to click for them. They've been super clinical in front of goal. So without meaning to get too statty, they've scored 0.19 goals per shot. And only Hellas Verona can top that in the entirety of Europe. And it's mainly because they take the least they take their shots the closest to goal out of anyone in Europe, just 13 meters. So if you take good good quality shots from good areas, you're invariably going to score a lot of goals. And they've been really entertaining to watch. There's been some wonderful finishes as well, particularly from Lautaro Martinez. He's been, you know, fantastic. I thought he might have a difficult start to the season, given the speculation that went on over the summer, given his relationship with Romelu Lukaku. But it, it, at least in the league, it's going very well. In the Champions League, I think it's been really disappointing again. I thought they played really well 
against Real Madrid on the opening day. But then unfortunately could only draw nil-nil away at Shakhtar. And that's the sort of result that has just really come a cropper for them in the last few years. They haven't qualified from the group stage since 2011-12. Obviously, they've only had three attempts in that time because they spent so many years outside of the Champions League in that sort of doldrums era where they were chopping and changing managers and couldn't settle on anything really. In terms of the stars, well, Edin Dzeko has grabbed a lot of the headlines, leading Serie A's top top scorer charts with Immobile on six, which was a little bit of a surprise, I've got to say. I think it's the first time since 2014-15 that he's overperformed his expected goals. In the last six years, get this, he has underperformed his expected goals by 27. His finishing has been pretty poor. And and I don't want to be too harsh on Dzeko because he's a phenomenal goal scorer. He's a phenomenal striker and he's got a great record. First player to score 50 goals in three leagues. but And it doesn't mean to say that he can't score great goals. But for that level of underperformance, I think that's one of the worst records in Europe, I would imagine. So, yeah, Dzeko, I'm not necessarily sure that he's going to get up to the sort of 20 goal mark. It might revert back to the mean, but we'll see. And I think with Correa coming in as well, they've sort of covered for the loss of Lukaku. Dumfries and Damian are doing a, a fairly good job of, uh, of covering for Hakimi, probably the outstanding right wing back in the whole of Europe as well. I think they've got the best defence in Syria. I think they've got the best midfield in Syria with Barella, Brozovic and Kahanoglu as well. I think Barella probably has the potential to be one of the best central midfielders in the world in the next two to three years. He's probably already in the discussion, to be totally honest. Yeah, He's got one goal and five assists in seven league games this year. His technique, his energy in the in the all across the pitch as well. I remember that crucial game against Juventus last year where he was the man of the match effectively. I think it was that 2-0 win that really set into a way. I mean, they were already ahead at that time, I think, but it set them up for that great run-in. And he's just gone from strength to strength as well. The biggest weakness, unfortunately, because I love this player, is Samir Handanovic now, to be mm-hmm. totally honest. And he was such a stalwart for the club in those difficult years that I was talking about. But now, just not the same goalkeeper he was. Yeah. Another slight concern... Simone Inzaghi doesn't have that much experience in terms of title challenges. Lazio did exceptionally well in 2019-20. I think they were one point uh, uh, behind Juve when lockdown happened, but then they completely collapsed after lockdown. Really difficult scenario for, for most clubs. Lost all momentum, only won five of their final 11 league games and finished fourth. So in terms of winning the title this year, I think it's probably beyond them. I would have thought um, just in terms... Really? I, That's I, interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident about another team, which I, I'm coming on to on due course, but I just don't know whether Inter have got enough this year, to be totally honest. And I think Milan have, have got great momentum at the moment as well. But yeah, I'll put it to you guys. I mean, do you guys think Inter are the sort of favourites? I do now. I think Inter are probably favourites at this point. Now, look, I, I know and I'm pretty hot on, on a lot of these teams and I've called it, I, I called it for Roma right before we began. Um, and I, I feel like Napoli are, are are absolutely joyous at the moment. And I won't say too much on Napoli for now. Um, but it's it, it does feel like Inter are probably the most consistent side. I know that sounds ridiculous considering Napoli are, are perfect so far, but it just feels like this Inter side... I was the, I was the same. I was worried about what they'd done. I was worried about the replacements. I was worried about them losing their their key players. But I just feel that they've strengthened adequately in a league that seems to be getting tighter without anyone really pulling away. Um, and, and maybe that's it. And and like you say, and and as you mentioned in in the first part, if Onana comes in in January mm. as we expect. That's a real bonus, a real, real kind of jump for Inter. And it looks at that point to me, I think Handanovic, and I'm with you, has been such a wonderful servant to the club. 
does feel like the weak link. If they can, if they can patch it in January and they can get to January in the kind of form they're in right now, I think they're going to be okay. And 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 there's a there's a kind of sense that when they brought Jekko in to replace Lukaku originally, and they brought Dumfries in to replace Hakimi, and Inzaghi came in to replace Conte. I think we were all a bit like, okay, what they've done here is just replace the players with slightly worse players or managers who do exactly the same thing. But if you bring Correa into that argument, you bring Darmian into that argument to just give it a little bit of, of backup. Federico De Marco's come in at left wing back to kind of strengthen that zone and, and just push a little bit harder there. Chalhanoglu to replace Christian Eriksen, who obviously isn't able to, to play that much. And also to cover for, well, he's not able to play at all, but to cover for Stefano Sensi, who is injured. And like, I love Sensi more than almost anyone on earth, but he just isn't fit. It's such a shame, isn't it? It is a real shame because he's a joy to watch. When With all that in and, and kind of just keeping the same systems, Inzaghi basically using Conte's model and going, this is what I played too. So it's completely fine. We'll just stick with it. They just feel like they might have enough. I, I think that the argument would be for me, I, I don't know, I wouldn't call them to win it, but I think they probably are favourites, just as a general kind of viewpoint, if that makes sense. Every time I look at the Serie A table, I change my mind on how I feel yeah. about all of this. <laughs> and it speaks to how close the top six or seven are. Like you said, Jack, there's 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 not a lot of room to breathe between them in terms of quality. There aren't. I thought that Juve would be the outstanding candidates with Allegri coming back in and... I'm not ruling that out because they have actually turned a corner and started keeping clean sheets. And if they start to get their mantra back and they start to believe in themselves and remember who they are, then I think the rest of the entire world is in trouble. But I went for Juve to start the season and Dougie, I do this thing where I just don't change my predictions because I don't want to go through the mental torture. Um, I like it. Stick by your guns. I just can't be bothered with it. I don't like the hand hand wringing. So I just stick to what I go with and then it's probably wrong at the end, but who cares? Um, So yeah, I basically still think Juve just because that's what I said six weeks ago. But if I had to pick again, like I do think that over the first seven weeks, Inter have looked to me like the most title worthy team. And I did not think I would be there. I thought it would be a lot, lot worse heading into the summer. And you bring up Handanovic as a weakness, which is true. Like It's regrettably true. That doesn't matter when we're ranking the most entertaining teams. He's entertaining. It's just in a different way. It certainly is. It is a shame because I am a huge, have been a huge fan of Handanovic over the years. And it's interesting. You, you say he probably had his best years when Inter were at their worst. Mm. And it's a real tragedy that they couldn't, lift themselves to his level. Um, but yeah, last season was a little bit, little bit spotty. And this season, he's done it a couple times again. Uh, he's getting a bit awkward. He is the captain. This is often a very awkward scenario. I don't think Onana walks through the door and takes that goalkeeping shirt. In, I, don't think, I don't think that's a patch. No way. You can't, I don't think they do that to Big Sam here. It'd be rude. Mm. Does have a trophy. The, the difficulty with Onana is he hasn't played football in so long now as well. I mean, if yeah. you're if you're dropping in a fresh goalkeeper into a title charge in January when they haven't played for so long, mm. I don't know. I think it could be difficult. And he's such a different goalkeeper to Handanovic. Mm. And this back three with the goalkeeper just won a title when they were the league's best defense. So Handanovic, Bastoni, Devry, and Skriniar were rock solid. Rock solid. Don't start playing with that in January if you're in contention. I don't think I don't think Inzaghi's that silly. Yeah, maybe not. All right, that takes us on to number two, Diggy. Number two, I'm going back to the Bundesliga. 
Um, I'm going with Bar Leverkusen. I think they've been absolutely brilliant to watch so far this year. I don't think they're going to win the Bundesliga, but I've just really enjoyed them. I mean, they're part of that managerial craziness that we saw in the Bundesliga this summer. Uh, Hannes Wolf left. He was the only in, he was the interim after Petter Bosch was fired in March. They brought in former Young Boys boss Gerardo Ciovani. And I didn't watch a lot of Young Boys last year. I, I haven't watched a lot of Young Boys outside of the Champions League. I thought they were very good in that group a couple of years ago with Juventus, I think it was. Yeah. And then I thought they were really impressive against Man United in that game where Aaron Wambasaka got sent off, of course. But you could tell that this was a side that's been coached well for a while. And David Wagner, I think, has got a very easy job to continue that on, hopefully. They didn't go crazy in the market, back to buy Leverkusen, this is. They spent only a net £10 million. They brought in Odilon Kosunu from Club Bruges, who's got a lot of plaudits already. I mean, Adley from Toulouse and Mitchell Backer, who's done pretty well from PS, uh, PSG as well. They lost Leon Bailey, which could have been portrayed as quite a big loss because he obviously got a big move to a Premier League club. But he was never like a consistent starter under Petter Bosch. Like he was in and out of the side, provided some spectacular moments. But it wasn't like he was a... 35 game a season or oh, wouldn't be in the Bundesliga 30 game plus <laughs> a player um, for them you can't criticise uh, him for that Doogie that's not no, fair exactly yeah where, where was your 35th game Leon um, and then they also lost Vendel as well he went to Porto I thought that was a slightly strange move I thought a couple of years ago Vendel had the potential to go to a, a really top European club hasn't quite materialised for him Damari Gray obviously went to Everton they'll probably regret that now that they watch him tearing it up for Everton uh, they lost the Bender brothers who retired as well. But they've been brilliant so far in terms of their results. Uh, they played seven, they've won five, they've drawn one, they've lost one. And the loss was probably one of the most entertaining games of the season, that 4-3 defeat to Dortmund. Mm-hmm. They were through two up as well in that game. They're now level on points with Bayern. They've scored at least three goals in five of their seven games. They've also scored six in two Europa League games, including that 4-0 demolition of Celtic. Which I think did, which did sort of flatter them quite a bit. Radetzky well, it was in. It didn't flatter them in terms of goals. It just flattered them in terms of how many they didn't concede. Yeah, I mean, Radetzky you know, again, was would have been fire. one of the most entertaining games of the season. I think if well, probably was one of the most entertaining games of the season. But Radetzky, as you say, unbelievable. Yeah, he's been so good all this year. I mean, the stats suggest their underlying numbers suggest that they're not going to challenge for the title. You know, they're the seventh best side by expected points. They're the seventh for expected goals, fifth for expected goals against, but. I think we've just got to enjoy the ride with this young team at the moment. And we we have seen this last year, like they started really well. Last year, they were first after 12 games. Then then that came that sort of really dramatic loss to Bayern Munich, where I think it was Jonathan Tarr and Rudetsky made those couple of errors as well. They sort of fell apart after that. I think they only won one of their next six games, eventually finished sixth. But as I say, sort of forget about where they could go. Just enjoy the ride right now, because there's some stars in this team that are performing Really, really at a high level, like Schick, Diaby, Radetzky, as I've already said. But the star in this, the guy who makes it all work is Florian Wirtz, who's just been phenomenal. Four goals and five assists in six games, but only four of those have been starts. He's averaging a goal or an assist every 41 minutes. For context, Benzema, who many people think has been the best player in the world so far this season, not sure I totally agree with that, but he's definitely up there, has won every 44 minutes. So Florian Wirtz, three minutes. Uh, lower average for, for for a goal or assist. Like phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. He's got everything you need for a top-level footballer. His vision, his calmness on the ball, his decision-making as well. And his his shooting has really improved this year as well. I think he's just got he's just got everything about him at 18. And fair play to Bayer Leverkusen. They saw what they had in Havertz. They knew that a top club was going to come looking for him. I mean, Bayern Munich were interested in him. Real Madrid, obviously Chelsea eventually got him. And then they just picked out this guy out of Cologne's academy in Florian Wirtz and just moulded him into this player who is 
kind of operating at a pretty pretty like close to Havertz's level in his final year at Bayer Leverkusen. It's just been it's just been really impressive to watch. I also think they're operating at such a high level without one of their best defenders, Edmund Tapsoba, who I'm an enormous fan of, who's out with an ankle injury at the moment. He's only 22. He only he got signed by Bayer Leverkusen after only a handful of appearances in Portugal, uh, and he just looks like he's got everything on the ball. I think he's a really, really promising young player. So they've got a lovely mix of experience by Leverkusen as well. Demabe, Rodetsky, Aranguis, Bellarabi, Alario, and then this young talent coming through. Jonathan Tarr's still only 25. Jeremy Fringpong looks like he's finally settled at Bar Leverkusen as well on the right uh, right back slot. Backer, Kusunu, as I said. Musa Diaby, who's been excellent to watch as well. I think this year isn't so much about, oh, can they win the title? I don't think that's really realistic. But can they win a trophy? I mean, they haven't won a trophy since 1993. Can they get rid of that Bar Neverkusen sort of moniker that they've been stuck with for so long? They were DFB Pokal runners-up in 2002 in that disastrous two-week period where they lost three three tournaments in a matter the of worst, weeks. The worst, I think that might be the worst two weeks a club has ever had. I, I it's mean, got to be the up pitch, there. at least. Yeah, it's got to be up there. I mean, I can only think they didn't enter administration, but I mean, that could have just finished them off, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. 2009, they lost the final as well. And then 2020 was their most recent final appearance. And they got kind of you know battered by Bayern. I think it was 4-2 in the end. So could they go deep in the Pokal? Could they go deep in the Europa League? That's what I want to see from the, this year. But I, I think anyone that's watched them so far this year has just been thrilled by this all-out attack. You know, they seem like they've got this balance right from the Petter Bosch days where they split that defence so wide and tried to dominate possession, but were quite le- were quite open on the counter-attack to getting that balance right as well. And I think Ciohane is definitely one to watch in the managerial sort of merry-go-round in the next few years. Yeah, Boss has never really learned, has he, from no. that? Because like, he did it at Dortmund as well, the exact same thing. The um, kamikaze manager is a of bit, all. It's a bit weird when he does it with multiple teams in the same league and it doesn't quite work out with any of them. And every fan base he touches, they're like, it's great fun, but please, Petter, like, could you just, <laughs> just, just, <grow> up. <laughs> just make a few more allowances for the fact that we are so wildly open. Um, set the backs parked on the halfway line, massive vertical gaps between all the defenders, <laughs> lose the ball, goal. Oh, jeez. Okay, now we've got to score four, which is why it's fun. <laughs> Um, which is why it's fun. And yeah, maybe if Sayawani could just, just put the finishing 10% on that, then that's why he's got such a wonderful a wonderful team with, who plays such wonderful football and they've got some great players. I mean, you, you did a great job of mentioning them all, but I'll just put my hat in the ring once again as the chairman of the Musa Diaby fan club. And it's just been someone I've it's adored, a growing fan adored, club. adored for so long now, two, three years. Watched him for the first time in the French under 19s, like a little cannonball exploding out of the blocks, left, right, left, right, up and down. Just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Kind of reminded me of Jeremy Bogger at the time. What Jeremy Bogger could have been is what I that he's called in this household. <laughs> is that is that a full on terminology name we're going that's with, or is that it's what that me, is, that's it? That's what I mean, me and Jeremy Bogger playing, <laughs> playing some nice football. I mean that that I mean you look at it and you genuinely look at that front three of. Or attacking triumvirate, I should probably say it's not really a front three. Um, of Patrick Schick, Florian Verts, and Moussa Diaby, and they've got. 16 goals between the three of them so far. Um, It's not a bad start. And again, Schick's the eldest there at 25. It's a really, really fun side to watch. And I was looking, I was thinking about the Europa League there. And I think they've probably been the standout team for me so far, Dougie. And I think if you look at the last 10 years of the Europa League, seven of the 10 winners have started in the Europa League group stage. Now, obviously, there's been a change of format. So whether that changes or not is, is, I suppose, up for debate. But right now, it does feel like the teams who 
tend to get their way through the competition and, and tend to drive through from the group stage with the intent of going all the way, as opposed to dropping down from the Champions League and seeing it as an afterthought, are the ones who tend to do well in the competition. And actually, you look at the amount of teams from the Champions League who have got to the final and lost. It's pretty remarkable. Um, and, and I think if Leverkusen continue playing the way they are, there's no reason they couldn't be in that conversation when it comes to the last four of the Europa League at this point. I love it. If it's good enough for Mr. Europa League, it's good enough for me, for sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just a quick word on Moussa Diaby. I think it's it's always a bit of a shame when as soon as a player starts performing at a club like Bayer Leverkusen, everyone just starts instantly linking him away. Like, where would he fit best? And he gets linked with Liverpool, etc. Like, I think we should just enjoy Diaby's season. Like, he is f- performing exceptionally well. Him and Nkunku, the PSG sort of academy sort of products as well. Fair play to both of them. They've both taken mm. a massive leap forward mm. this year. Their finishings just got so much better, and I can't wait to see what they produce over the next few years. So this is this is a thing that we we do, isn't it? This is definitely a thing we do in this country, and oh, I, it, I do it all the time. I try. I've been trying really hard not to recently, and I noticed they do it. It's like a prerequisite for like broadcast television football. They'll always be like, so like the last two years has been like, isn't Jack Grealish excellent? Yeah. Yeah, he's excellent. So where would he be best? Man City or... And you're just like, whoa, you don't have to, you know? It's, it's not yeah. a requirement to do that. It's, 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 it's the I same mean, with anyone. Zahar is the same thing. It's like, it's, it's, you can just be like, that player's very good. And then stop speaking. There's also a, a level of that. And then without meaning any offence to, to Aston Villa or, or Crystal Palace, as you, as you suggest there, there's, I would say there's a difference between them and Bayer Leverkusen. You know, this is a team that is consistently in Europe, consistently challenging for the top four in the Bundesliga, which is, you know, in the top five leagues in Europe. There is, a, you know, there is always a kind of food chain, obviously. I appreciate that. And, and that's what football is. And, you know, I'll see that as a Fulham fan. We lose players all the time to bigger clubs. It's just how football works. But there's a difference between saying Jack Grealish should be playing in the Champions League and therefore linking him to a Champions League club or and doing that with someone like Moussa Diaby, for example, who has played in the Champions League with mm. Bayer Leverkusen mm. and is playing in the Europa League with Bayer Leverkusen this season. And I, I, I dislike it when they get like, oh, he'd be good for Everton. Why would he move to Everton? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but, you know, it, yeah, is, yeah, it yeah. is what it is. And it's just how, how, how the world works sometimes. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Don't mean to act high and mighty at all. Like Football Daily have made a, made an, it like a business of linking players with other clubs. And I, I do it all the time on Twitter. It's a lot of fun. So do we, mate. Have you met Dean Jones? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Heard of the Gene? Guru. It's a shame I haven't met him. I missed him. Yeah. Now he's uh, now he's in America. Exactly. He's um well he's he's returning very soon, so we're excited about that. But um that takes us nicely to number one, Diggy. Number one, it's the question that we sort of asked a little bit earlier when we were talking about Inter Milan. I think we've got to talk about Napoli. I think we've got to talk about Napoli. Is it actually possible? Can they get this first title since 1990? They've had four second place finishes in that time. And I think they could do. I really think they could do. I'm not saying they will do, but I think it's a definite, definite possibility. They are the only side in the top five leagues, as we've said, with a 100% winning record. Uh, Milan are the next best in terms of points per game. They're on 2.7. There's some real quality in the top of Serie A right now, and I think people need to appreciate it. Notice that I haven't mentioned a single La Liga team in this most entertaining side. Yeah, maybe we can talk about maybe we can talk about it in due course. But in terms of Napoli, six sides in Europe's top five leagues have scored more goals than them, but no side has conceded fewer than their three. So they're getting the balance really right, which is I think something that's maybe cost them in, in title races in in years gone by. Uh, yeah, only conceded three goals. Villarreal, Sevilla, Chelsea, and Man City have also done the same. And it's got to be said they have been slightly fortunate with their fixtures. 
They've only played two sides in the current top 12, which is Fiorentina, who are fifth, and Juventus, who are seventh. And they played Juve, obviously, in that real down start to the year as well. Uh, and they have been they have been slightly fortunate with injuries as well. That's something that's cost them in the past, but they definitely deserve some good luck on that front. They They've do, got a pretty absolutely. clean bill of health right now. Um, yeah, I think it's only uh, Adam Unas and Malqui, I think that's how you pronounce it, who are um, out at the moment. Um, but yeah, they, they look very, very good in both parts of the pitch. They've started... Europe pretty poorly, but I don't really care. I want them to go for the league <laughs> title. I don't, I don't really mind what they do in Europe this year. They got that 2-2 draw against Leicester in that quite entertaining game. Then a 3-2 loss at home to Spartak Moscow. That's not really good enough, although Mario Rui was sent off early in that game. They've struggled to go deep in Europe for years. Um, they've only got two Champions League last 16s in the last six years. So it's not as if we're, we're really mass- missing out on a European powerhouse. I just really want them to go for the title this year. And they're two points ahead of Milan. They're four ahead of Inter who we've kind of talked about as the favourites, maybe. Uh, 10 ahead of Juve, so I think it's going to be a real ask for Juve to overturn that. And I think, unlike some of those some of those teams we've already mentioned, who probably have depth issues in certain parts of their team, I think Napoli have an unbelievable depth. Um, they've got 10 players who have scored a goal. They've got seven players who have provided an assist. They've got a really settled defence, uh, quite ageing defence, so this is probably their last potential opportunity. Ospina's 33. Di Lorenzo, who I think is a great player. I think... You know, as an attacking option for for any any club in Europe looking to upgrade, I think Di Lorenzo is potentially a great great shout to go for in that sort of twenty to twenty five million pound bracket. Koulibaly is now thirty; he's been linked with Newcastle. Caladu, <laughs> please don't go to Newcastle; that'd be a complete waste. Uh, you need to stay at Napoli and get this title over the line. Manalas, who I'm not as hot on, uh, Romani as well, who I haven't seen as much of to be fair. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of him and Mario Rui as well. And then midfield, Anguissa, it's probably quite painful for Jack to hear. He's playing really well right now as well. I, I'm, just, I'm happy for Frank. He loves he's it. some love, to be honest. Good, yeah, good, I'm good. I mean, you, can't, you can't not like him or at least appreciate his talents. What what a player. And then what Fabian Ruiz in there, Zielinski, who's got you know come on leaps and bounds in the last 18 months as well. And then their forward options, I think, are just the deepest in Serie A, probably. Osserman, Insigne, Lozano, Mertens. And then Politano, who always pops up with a few goals and assists per season. Andrea Patania as well, who always makes himself useful. The kitchen sink. The yeah. kitchen sink, exactly. Uh, and it feels like they've kind of taken a bit of every manager they've had. They've had a high managerial turnover in the last few years, but it feels like a kind of Sarri style. He's maybe provided the sort of soul of the club. Then Ancelotti, maybe the sort of vague tactical flexibility. Gattuso, I think they are you know tougher defensively than they used to be as well. And now Spalletti. And Spalletti... Is kind of underappreciated, I think, outside of Italy, really. I mean, he hasn't won a trophy outside of Italy since uh, 2008 when he won the Coppa Italia with Roma, which is incidentally, I think, their last trophy, actually, Roma. Also won it in 2007 with them as well. But he, he returned to Roma after Zenit, and I think he did a really underrated job there. He returned in January 2016, and they only lost one of his 18 games in charge that season. They then finished and finished third. The following year, the year that they had Dzeko, who scored 39 goals that year, and Salah, performing really, really well. They finished second with 87 points, which was their best tally this century. That was Totti's last year. So I think Spalletti, really underrated manager. You know, he got back-to-back finishes with Inter Milan then as well, back-to-back Champions League finishes, I should say, with Inter Milan. And I think he's he knows the league really well. I think Napoli could do it. I just, I think even, unless there's a catastrophic injury to an Insigne, Ossie maybe. Man, isn't it? Ossiman's Ossie the one man, I'm worried yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, although I'll he's, worry he's, is that he's they have back. another player that can do... Stretch that moves like Aussie men. You, goals he, fine. He's great to watch. Dynamic of play. Is there anyone? You'd be asking Mertens to roll back the hamstrings a little bit. 
Um, yeah. or, play, or play Chucky over the top. Yeah, or just play Chucky decoy runs. Um, and that 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 would be the worry. Out of interest, when Jekko scored 39 goals, what was his XG? 81? That's a good question. I think, yeah, it must have been higher than that. It's a very good point. Um, so, Imagine yeah, Spalletti, being served up that many chances. <laughs> what yeah. a charmed existence that would be. That was that was all comp. So I don't know whether he was like, just killed it in the Europa League or, or the yeah. Champions League that year. I actually can't remember. But Probably. 39 goals from Dzeko's is really crazy. Yeah. It is a lot, isn't it? There's, I mean, this is this is such a fun side. And, and I was saying this to Sam the other week on, on LiveScore, actually, that Napoli feel like they've calmed down. Last year, they felt like an absolute tinderbox all the time. They were great to watch, but they felt like a tinderbox. And it was a bit sort of kamikaze under Gattuso. They'd score loads. They'd concede loads. The whole thing was just a bit nuts. And none of us thought that Spalletti was the man that would come in and calm things down. No way. But he has done. And I think that that's maybe the that and the midfield dynamics now. The fact that Anguis can sit at the base, control play, be able to drive when he needs to, but also just kind of sit there and... and and be the physical presence that they need. He's such a glorious dribbler of the ball. He's such a, a glorious mover. And he just sort of shifts around and he allows Fabian Ruiz and, and Zielinski to basically do what they want. And, and in that, he's freed them up to become the players that we kind of hoped they would be, I think. And Fabian in particular, I've loved for many a year, um, as you can imagine, being from Betis. But he... He went to Napoli and he was kind of flashes of brilliance here and there occasionally, had a couple of games in a row and then would drop off. And this season, he just seems to have been freed up by the arrival of Anguissa to to do what he needs to do. And I'm really, really enjoying it. Exactly. You mentioned them there and I'm going to mention them. But uh, one of the sides I thought you might put in here was Fiorentina, Diggy, because under Italiano, they have become a bit like what Napoli were last year. They are chaotic at the back. They score ridiculous own goals. They they, they end up in defensive catastrophes. Going forward, they're a joy. Um, but they are they are they feel like the kamikaze team of Europe at the moment, which I'm enjoying a lot. Yeah, they have been crazy. I caught their game against Inter Milan, which was a really unfair sort of defeat for them because they played so well up to 60 minutes, but they were just knackered at 60. Like they'd run so far and so like intently. And to be honest, I didn't know a lot about Vincenzo Italiano before he arrived, just that he was at Spezia and they did that quite a good Coppa Italia run last year. I think they beat Roma, Spezia, but I didn't watch a lot of Spezia, so I didn't really know what to expect. But yeah, I think Fiorentina, fair play to them. Like they've, they've taken a little bit of a gamble you know, Gattuso came in for what, like a matter of weeks. And then they had to force their hand, took a little bit of a gamble and it's paid off spectacularly so far. And they have been a lot of fun to watch. You also mentioned that we didn't talk about a La Liga side. Was there yeah. any that there was there any that stretched your imagination at all, or uh, was it uh, all off? I've got I've got a little bit of a vendetta against La Liga at the moment, and it's it's probably one of those stupid ideas that you sort of build in your head at the start of the year. And I'm quite stubborn as an individual. I think I'm just being reluctant to change. Maybe a bit like Sam's predictions at the start of each year. I just I'm not really loving watching La Liga to be well, honest. Why would it's you love it? It's not even that great. Like yeah. everyone wins one 0 it's boring. Unai Emery has cursed the entire league. Well, yeah. There's there's it, one team bucking that trend, and I just wanted to give a little shout out to Rio Vallecano, who are just absolutely hilarious. They are brilliant. <laughs> they, they I don't, some weeks they're unplay, unplayable, some weeks they're desperate, 
Um, Fran Garcia is coming from Real Madrid at left back. Um, there's there's some really great players. I love Oscar Trejo in the middle. I love Unai Lopez, who's on loan from Athletic Club. Old boy Sergi Guardiola's come in from from Valladolid. Uh, and the big one, well, Martin Merkelans is, is coming from Real Sociedad. So there's some quite fun players to watch. And then obviously Radamel Cavalcao's come back at 35 years old and is scoring for fun at the moment in the league. It's just so, so fun. And it feels like everything else that La Liga is not right now. And it's just hmm. good fun to watch. I thought yeah. I'd probably give them a, a little shout out. No, I think they de- they definitely deserve a shout out. The fact that they can bring Falcao back and he instantly hits the ground running, that that is great to, great to watch. But I just, it's the, it's the league. If I miss, you know, I'm sure you guys do the same thing on a, on a Sunday or a Monday or a Tuesday when you're catching up with European football that you haven't watched. It's now the league I watch last before, like after everything. I think that's just quite telling. Like entertainment wise, I'm not entertained at the moment. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, fair, enough. fair enough. Well, we've managed to get through a whole discussion on, well, we put, what, three? Was it three Italian sides? Uh, no, two, Italian, yeah, two, two Italian, two Italian sides, sides in the, two in the, in the top five, and uh, Roma did not feature. So we've turned a corner here at the <laughs> here on this podcast. Well done, everybody, although Roma are great fun. And just a little shout out to the French lads as well. Uh, on average, one in every sort of three and a half Marseille games are suspended which is great entertainment. Um, and they are also chaos on the pitch. And uh, Ren have this wonderful combination of Jeremy Doku and Kamaldine Sulamala dribbling and then just prolific defensive errors at the back, like just constant errors. Uh, Loic Bade has had a bit of a dodgy start after a pretty high-profile move. And um, I don't know how to pronounce the name of his partner, Aguerd or Aguerd. Um, he keeps coughing the ball up in his own box for no reason. So um, good fun. And you haven't even talked about Angers. No, we well, don't have to that. go down that route again. Done enough of that. <laughs> Uh, absolutely yes some some great shouts great shouts we have however probably run on for a, a wee bit longer than we should have done so i'm going to suggest that we maybe call this segment here but diggy thank you so much uh, a wonderful list there were so many joyful teams to pick and i think we've had a a real good go at getting through some of them um, thank you so much for coming on and please can you tell the listeners where they can find you yeah, absolutely. So go and watch uh, yeah, all our content across Football Daily and Euro Football Daily. I mainly work across Euro Football Daily. Um, the big show that we do is called Continental Club. We film it every Friday and uh, Jack is featured. We're going to have to get Sam on in a couple of weeks time for sure. Mm. And uh, yeah, we do a sort of similar structure to this vaguely. Um, but yeah, just on YouTube. So yeah, go check that out. Similar structure. Yeah, You've not breached any copyright or posted. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't do any rankings, actually. I don't know why I said similar structure. It's almost entirely different. <laughs> mm, you would say that now that I've pulled you up. <laughs> um, Diggy, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Definitely go out and check out Continental Club in particular. I, my favourite show on YouTube, I must say. So, um, And that's not just because Diggy's here. But thank you so much, Diggy. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks very much, guys. Welcome back to Ranks FC and the surprises aren't done for today, Rank Squad. In fact, we're bringing back the main man back from across the pond is Mr. Dean Jones, our transfer guru. Welcome home, mate. Cheers, lads. I'm back. Yeah, the founder of this podcast is back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what did we do without you well um, you did a very a good job I've, ch- I've checked and all the episodes went out um so well done well done lads you, you've kept the company afloat <laughs> our first real test since launching this a year ago and you've you've come through with flying colors so thank you for, for keeping me in a job while i was gone 
No, not at all. Um, I mean, I suppose normally we'd put Mellon here first, but I think we can we can just postpone that. And instead of a gibberish this week, I think we should just get you to talk a little bit about your holiday. Maybe rank some of the best bits of it for us, because you know we're we're excited as the audience will be right now to hear what happened when you were in the states. Yeah, I had a lovely time. I mean, I think probably the last thing you heard about it was that Reese was a melon and couldn't sleep. Uh, turned out that was mainly jet lag, but he was also ill. Um, so he got over that for week two. So week two was a lot, a lot happier, let's say. Um, so that was good. Um, I will rank my holiday, um, and I'm going to start number three. The third best thing I did on holiday was I went to the zoo. This yeah. is great. I've I've been to a zoo for a very long time, and the San Diego Zoo is a phenomenal place. Not just because of the animals on show, but they do an amazing IPA that you can drink <laughs> <laughs> as you walk around, and you get this really cool, like metal, chrome, silver. I don't even know what it was made of. San Diego pint glass cup, whatever to walk like around a with. Yeah, kinda, kinda, um, and it just made me very happy because it was such a good pint. And the day that we went, it was nice, wa- nice and warm, but it was overcast, so there was no worries about getting burnt or too hot and stuff. And we just like wandered around this zoo, had a few pints of IPA. Um, kids had their faces painted, saw the elephants and the giraffes and the monkeys and and all the rest of it, and um, it was. It was such a good day out. Like I, I didn't think I'd be that happy to be at a zoo with. Well, we had four children with us that day. Um, not all of them mine, I promise. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was really, really good. Well, I mean, I, I didn't expect that. I'm also surprised that you haven't been to a zoo in so long, considering you have two children of zoo. They've never age. been to the zoo. They had never they been are. to the zoo. Yeah, yeah. Um, because your house is a zoo, yeah, mate. Not, no, far not far wrong. <laughs> That's my main t- my main point of uh, umbrage, I think, with that with that first one is that you hadn't taken the boys to the zoo before. Yeah, I couldn't um, be asked with the hassle, to be honest. Yeah, well, to be fair, you don't you definitely don't get points of IPA when you're walking around Regent's Park Zoo. So uh, no, do you I know mean, what? Even better, we rocked up. It's like fifty dollars each to get in or something, and we rock up, and they go, "Oh, kids are free in October." Yay! That's an extra few pints of IPA. Yeah, exactly. You saved yourself. You saved it and spent it at the same time. Basically, um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I mean, we'll make sure to check out San Diego Zoo next time we're over there. What's um, what's going on at two? Donuts and coffee. What a way to start the day this was. And I'd forgotten. You know, it'd been a long time since I'd been to America and Newport Beach in particular. Um, and just walking down there in the mornings... And, you know, I couldn't do, if I lived there, obviously I'm not going to go and have donuts and coffee every morning unless I wanted to die early. Um, Sometimes I wonder. Yeah. But the novelty factor of just wandering down there at 8am, getting coffees and donuts for all of us and just sitting there next to the beach. What a feeling that is. Like the early morning sun, it's not too hot. The kids are happy and playing. Dylan doesn't even eat the whole donut. He just kind of manages to bite the perfect layer of chocolate off of the top and the donut is perfectly intact. So um, he's, he's absolutely mastered that in the last week. But yeah, yeah donuts and coffee, what a combination it is. And it might be something that we look to vi- revisit here, I think. It might be like a Saturday morning thing. That I try and find a good spot. Not sure I mean, you're going to struggle for a, a good donut in the UK, right? Unless it's a Krispy Kreme. And that's even that. So it, it, it yeah, I'm definitely going to struggle in Morton. Um, yeah. No, are these are the are these the ones that you get at like um, 
like I don't know, like they're like they're freshly made right there and then, and there's like they're all sugared and stuff, and they're quite warm. Are they, are they the ones you're talking about, or like is it from like an actual? Dispenser? No, they were freshly baked. Yeah, so it was from an, an actual. That all they sold was donuts. There's a place called Dory's Deli, and I'm going to give it a shout out because I know a few of the listeners do frequent uh, Dory's Deli because uh, a couple of them, one in particular, sent me a picture actually of him at Dory's Deli. I'd messaged him the other day before I went. He was like, oh, where will you be in Newport? I said, probably in Dory's. And then he sent me a picture of himself in Dory's Deli. Um, It was Broderick Doyen. So shouts out to him. Um, (laughs) So Yeah, he was at Dory's one day. Uh, Yes, next door to that is a great donut spot. So coffee from Dory's. Donuts next door. Oh, happy days. It's you could do nice. this if you lived in Brighton because you could like walk down to Brighton mm. Pier and yeah. get like a nice freshly made donuts on the yeah. pier. But in in Walton, so we got we got some in Hastings on the pier when we went. But Rach Rach got attacked by a seagull and had a half of it oh, stolen. There you go. I bet you don't get that on, on Newport Beach. No, no, no. Oh, actually. <laughs> no, San Diego, San Diego. There was some very dodgy seagulls, but not in Newport. I got Reese's oat bar out one day and just put it on the on the floor, and this seagull swooped within seconds and just took it in the wrapper. I mean, Reese thought it was the best thing that ever happened, and off he goes trying to chase the seagull along the beach. Quite laugh. Should have made that in my ranking. Anyway, yeah, number say, one. That sounds on, great. <laughs> number one, lads. You know what's coming. You know what's coming. No, I didn't go to CPK once. No. What? No, I know. What do you mean? Of course you know what's coming. He went to LAFC. I went to LAFC. Didn't go to CPK once, but I'll talk about pizza in a minute. Um, LAFC, lads. What a place. What a place the Bank of California Stadium is like. Look, LAFC are rubbish now, okay? Um, Carlos Vela's injured. They've lost Diego Rossi. He's going to play in Turkey. Um the team started to crumble a bit. The, the fans are turning on um, our old mate, Bob Bradley. Bob, Brad Bobley. Yeah, he's Brad going Bobley. back to his Swansea days, it looks like. Um, Egg nuts. But it doesn't matter because they are having so much fun down at that stadium and the fans are genuinely phenomenal. Um, and I, had a, I did post about it while I was away and I got a few messages from people that live around LA and they're like, oh, must get down there. Is it really that good? It's like, Get down there. You like football. You're watching Premier League from 5,000 miles away every week. And that's great. And by the way, full credit to you for doing this because I I was not watching Premier League. I, I realized actually that if I lived in California, I'd never watch football again. So I'm going to have to reevaluate what I do about that if I ever move there. It's so hard to keep up with. It really is a commitment. You're, so not, fair well, you're not a particularly uh, getty-uppy if you don't need to person. No, but the thing is children. I do have to be at the moment yeah. and I'm still not managing to watch it. Um, so full credit to you for that. But yeah, get to LAFC because it is a phenomenal football experience. Um, it's a few people say, like, what's it like then compared to the Premier League? It's nothing like the Premier League because the fans behind the goal, they just have these crazy chants and stuff. It's just nonstop. It's more what you see like on the continent of Europe in some places uh, where they have actual ultras and stuff. Um, obviously, drinking in the stands helps. That's nice. Um, a guy sorted us out tickets, LAFC Rich on uh, on Instagram. He's the, he's the guy that kind of is the supporter liaison. Um so he made sure we got it for free. That was handy. Um, it's just such a good place. And I just love it. I, I genuinely love it. I didn't think I could ever 
find a new football team. Like Sam talks about like Granada and I'm like, often, can you really be asked to follow Granada? Like, do you really care? And then I go to LSE, I'm like, I do actually care about this. Like I really do actually support this team, even though I've only been here like three times in my life. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a nice reminder actually of, um, of how much I like them, even though they lost 2-1 and it was rubbish. Yeah, you lost, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, that was completely expected because the team is genuinely rubbish. Um, that they had four, at least four players that shouldn't have been on anywhere near the pitch. Um, so that was <laughs> random. Well, I think I, I checked the lineup to check the score just to see what mm. you'd watched, and maybe maybe the, the formation that I was watching was wrong. But did they have Jose Cifuentes up front? Yeah, he kind of, he because, kind of, because he's he's a holding midfielder. <laughs> he yeah. like he, gen- he genuinely he a holding drifts. midfielder. He drifts around. They had a new plot. They had someone made their debut. I don't even know his name is. He was useless. Um, I'm actually going to look up his name because I want to see, uh, make sure I'm on this one early. Let me just see what this guy's name was. Miche. Oh, is this a melon or is this just separate? No, this is just separate. Miche Engalina. Oh, terrible footballer. It reminded me of um, Camera at Fulham. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that's, good, two, that's two shouts for AK47 so far this, uh, <laughs> on this week's pod, so that's good. <laughs> um, had a good midfielder, actually, Francisco Ginella. I, li- I liked him. Um, but, yeah, generally, like, no Vela, no party at LAFC. But, what? yeah, it was oh. great. Just to finish this off, yeah, after Sam mentioned in CPK, and I didn't make it there once, um, which I think everyone who lives around California and stuff will be delighted to hear because they always say, like, that's not good pizza. And it's probably not amazing pizza, but for me it was more like it's just the emo- I've been having it ever since the first trip to California and so on and so forth. I did have pizza eight times. Um, about, and I was right. there 17 days. So that's not that's not good a bad ratio. ratio, is it? Every other day, basically, I, I had pizza, none of it from CPK. Dylan, we had a problem with, um, wouldn't eat would not eat he only likes english food he told us he he wants the same crisps he has at home he wants the same dinners he has at home he wants exactly the food needed to be exactly the same the only food that we could find that was like the same was like we had to cook broccoli he could have fries and the only pizza he would eat was domino's he had domino's four times So is your other son the villain this week? <laughs> no, he was as good as gold, to be honest. Dylan had the time of his life. And I also got in the new LAFC away kit with Dylan 4 on the back, which he loved. I did loved. see that. It was very nice. Yeah, um, nice kit, I, I'm a little bit... Um, I was just taking a little look at um, Diego Rossi, obviously, who's been at Fenerbahce. Fener, uh, yeah. Moved on loan. He's uh, He's got three goals, uh, three three assists and a goal in his first five games. He's a goal contribution every 86 minutes. Yeah, you know coming what? back. Yeah, no, Not no bad. Not yeah. bad, Diego Rossi. No, Not fair bad play at to him. Yeah, it's yeah, a good signing for them. He should have gone to an English club. He could have fitted in somewhere. Yeah, well, they were talking about Reading, so it's good that he didn't go there. Um, yeah. You know, each to their own. Each to their yeah. own. Um, and Dean, I think probably the only thing left to do here is, well, it's time for my favourite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Evan McPherson. Now, seeing as I've been in America, I thought I would round off the trip with a US-themed melon, and this happened right at the end of my trip. Now, I don't normally watch NFL, but I sent a message uh, by one of our listeners, Charlie, and he said to me, mate, 
get on the Bengals game and look at this for Melon of the Week. And yeah, so um, Bengals kicker McPherson makes an attempt from 49 yards in overtime to win the game against Green Bay. And he kicks it and he, he takes his eye off it at the end. And he's celebrating his kick, jumping into his teammate's arms, but it's faded wide. It missed. It hit the flag. (laughs) And listen, it was very, very close, but he was celebrating a miss and like properly celebrating a miss, like arms aloft in his teammate's arms, thinks he's won the game and he hasn't. Uh, It's very embarrassing and they lost. So <laughs> that is what I call melanish behaviour. Next week, I'll be back on the football trail and they'll all be uh, about football for the rest of the season. But I felt it was the right well, way to wrap you things can't up. Promise, you can't promise that. You cannot promise that they will all be about football for the rest of the season. But well, it's a good start. I'll try. We can do it for a little while to get back in the swing of things. Yeah, I'll try. That's a good one. Te- technically, that one is about football as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. So okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny Ward is wiping his brow going, thank, thank you. You, Evan McPherson. He's going because that own goal against the Czech Republic to Wales was comedy. Yeah, Pure you did send comedy. me that, and I did, I did like it. But I thought, yeah, I'm going to go with the American thing for the week. Um, I think that's probably fair enough, Dean. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, well, I mean, it's great to have you back, mate. Thanks, my first point. It's great to have yeah, you back it. on the pod. Great to yeah. have you talking to us live. Obviously, we see you both. We've and... kept you up to date, kept people up to date via via some voice notes in the pod, but it's nice to, to be able to have a conversation with you again. <laughs> yeah, that's me done now. Um, no more yeah. holidays for Dean until next year. There he goes. Next calendar year, yeah. I'll be going away in calendar. January until May. Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> as we, as we, uh, as they say, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. And um, right, and that's pretty much all we've got time for on today's pod. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Welcome home, mate. Thank you very much to Sam Tai. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much to Doogie Critchley, who provided a wonderful main ranking for us here on the most entertaining teams to watch as we get back into club football. So thank you to Doogie. Make sure you do check him out on Football Daily and Euro Football Daily. My name has been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week, gang. Take it easy. Peace.